Thank you for listening to this teaching from Kingdom Discipleship. Do you actively remind yourself and others of all the amazing truths found in your Bible? Do you consistently remember the goodness and love of Jesus and all he's done for you? Are you living your life in a way that reflects these things and glorifies Jesus Christ, the Lord of heaven and earth? Let's open our Bible now to Titus chapter 3 and see what the living and powerful Word of God has to say about all these things. Well, good afternoon and welcome to another teaching. It is Thursday, February 11th here in Texas, a little after two o'clock in the afternoon. Hope everyone is doing well and uh, hopefully you're having a good February in Jesus. Several podcasts ago, we, uh, we said, let this be this the, the greatest February we've ever had. Right, that's the the greatest January we ever had. You know, the uh, the goal of our lives really should be that that each day in Jesus is is really the our desire. You know, is that it be the the most uh, Christ filled day of our lives? Right, we should always want that, and there's nothing really nothing more exciting than that than 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 walking and experiencing relationship with Jesus Christ on a, on a deeper and, uh, and more intimate level every moment of every day. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Today, we're going to discuss uh, the book of Titus, uh, Titus chapter 3. We are going to discuss verses 1 through 11 today. I chose this teaching because uh, my, my brother Dustin... He led us in Bible study on Tuesday. He did a great job uh, on leading us and facilitating and teaching the Bible study on these verses. And they really are uh, uh, just amazing verses. I know I say that all the time because uh, the entire Bible is the living word of God. It is actually the, the word of God. It's not the word of man. It's not, it's not humanity's words, it's God's word. And we are living in a time and in a culture where never has this been more challenged. Never since we have had the Bible has more opposition been against the Bible. And it's even, it's creeped its way terribly into the church where people, a great, a great number of people who are Christians, I don't know what percentage, but it's a large percentage of Christians are people who would call themselves Christians, do not accept the Bible, the scriptures, as the actual word of God. The reason you believe that Jesus is the son of God is because it says it in the word of God, your Bible. The reason you believe Jesus died on the cross for the forgiveness of your sins and the salvation of your soul is because 
it says it in the word of God in your Bible. The reason you believe Jesus is raised from the dead is primarily because it says it in the word of God, in the scriptures, in your Bible. And we have to stand on the Bible being the living word of God. When we read the scriptures, literally, we're reading the word of God to us. There is, there is no endeavor in this life of more value than spending time reading, studying, meditating, memorizing the scriptures, the word of God. And that's why we do these podcasts, is to magnify the Son of God as we study the Word of God. So we're going to go ahead and, and uh, get right into this. Uh, Titus chapter 3, verses uh, 1 to 11. Um, do you all know any, any young men named Titus in your life? Do you know any middle-aged men or older men named Titus? As far as I can tell, I know one Titus in my life. He's a fine young man. He's a young Christian man. I don't know, Sarah, how old is he? Is he 10 years old? Um, but uh, that's a good name, Titus. Titus was a disciple of the, uh, the Apostle Paul, our spiritual father, the Apostle Paul. And Paul is writing this letter to Titus, and he's going to give him some instructions here in verses 1 through 11. So we're going to go ahead and read it, and then we'll pray, and then we will get rolling. Well, Father, we do bless you, we praise you, we worship you, we love you, and we thank you today. We do invite you into this time. Lord Jesus, we, we love you and we thank you, Lord. We thank you for loving us. We thank you for giving your life for us, Lord Jesus, and we thank you that you are alive and risen. And we profess you, Lord Jesus, as our only Lord and Savior and Master and King and God. Holy Spirit, we ask you to lead us and guide us now as we open the Word of God, the Scriptures. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Titus chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. Verse 1. Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and to show true humility toward all men. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that, having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. But avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law, because these are unprofitable and useless. 
Warn a divisive person once, and then warn him a second time. After that, have nothing to do with him. You may be sure that such a man is warped and sinful. He is self-condemned. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. As I was reading this and just reading the verses just now, as I was, I was reading them here, um, it just there's, there is just so much in this. So I, I hope we can get through it all. The, the scripture is just, just full. Verse 1, remind the people, stop there. Dustin did a good job of this. Remind the people. Uh, to remind you means that you know this already. You just need to be reminded of it. It needs to be put in your mind again and again and again and again. Remind, right? Means we need to think about it more and more and more and more. And since generally, unfortunately, as Christians, we, we often don't spend the time in the word of God that we ought to. We don't, we don't spend the time meditating on the scriptures as we ought to. We need to be reminded. We need to be reminded. As ministers, our job is not to give you our opinion. As teachers, our job is not to give you our view. Our only job as pastors, ministers, teachers, evangelists, prophets, apostles, whatever, whatever you are in the body of Christ, in the church, your job is to only give the word of God. We don't give our opinions. We don't give our ideas. We teach the scriptures, okay? We teach them plainly and clearly. And then, by extension, in principle, we exhort everyone in and through the scriptures, beginning with receiving and knowing and loving Jesus, the Son of God, and then exhorting everyone in the Word of God. Again, not in our own thoughts, not in our own opinions, not in our own ideas. Those really mean nothing. Those are of no use to you at all. Anything that I think, my opinion, well, I think this, I think this is a good idea, I think I like this, doesn't matter. It's the word of God that matters. And that's what we need to be reminded of. Okay, so when, you, when you're in your Bible, you're reminding yourself. God is giving you his word. You're reading his word. His word is, is, is feeding your soul and your spirit. And it's reminding you of the things of God, of the word of God, and of your Savior, the Son of God, Jesus. The Holy Spirit is your guide and your counselor. You remember, we have a triune God. The Bible makes clear a triune God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And we need to be reminded. And as ministers, that's our job, to continually remind the people. Remind ourselves first, and then remind everyone else what it says in your Bible. It says in your Bible that your heavenly father loves you unconditionally. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for you out of that love. Jesus Christ willingly came, took on uh, human flesh, became a human man. He lived a perfect life for you, died a perfect death for you. And he is alive and risen. We need to be reminded of that and we need to be reminding others of that. And then the entire Bible reminds us of how we're to live for Jesus, love for Jesus, give for Jesus, and forgive for Jesus. Those are the things that matter, right? 
Pastor Kimberly, that's, those are the things that matter. Living for Jesus, loving for Jesus, giving for Jesus, and forgiving for Jesus. Those are the things that matter. Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities. Okay, um, We do need to obey the laws of our country as long as they don't conflict with the word of God. If any policeman, if any uh, governor, if any congressional authority, if any president, um, if any ruler or authority, right, in society ever asks you to do something that's contrary to the scriptures, right? They tell you, I need you to lie. They tell you, I need you to cheat. They tell you, I need you to steal. Whatever they've told you to do. If anyone ever tells you to do something that's that's not right, that's not moral, that's not biblical or scriptural, you don't obey it. You do not not obey it. However, we do have laws, right? We should obey the speed limit. In our car, we should wear our seatbelts, right? These are laws. We should be, as Christians, obedient to the laws of society. And Paul tells Titus to remind the people, you know, to not be rebellious people. As Christians, we're not called as politicians. Yes, we do uh, elect our leaders, and you do want to elect leaders based on biblical principles, okay? That's how you elect your leaders. You go find out where they stand on biblical principles, where they're in agreement with the word of God and the son of God. And the closer they are, if they're closer than the other person, then you elect them. It's not, it's not complicated, okay? Because all that matters to you is what's the opinion of Jesus on the matter? What would Jesus do? I'm sure we've heard that, right? What would Jesus do? I wear a mask that I got from the uh, the senior pastor's wife at our church that says, uh, do what Jesus did. DWJD, do what Jesus did. Thank you, Lord. Now, Jesus quoted the word of God consistently. He quoted the, he quoted the Old Testament consistently in his ministry and he quoted it as the word of God. He kept saying, it is written, it is written, it is written, it is written. Because what is written is the word of God. From Genesis to Revelation, there's 66 books in your Bible, and they are all the living word of God. So we need to be reminded, remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient. We need to obey the laws of our nation. Okay, We need to do what's right. But then he says, this is verse one, remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient. But then he says to be ready to do whatever is good, Dustin. So it's important for us as Christians, almost all of the laws that were given, if you think about this, to be obedient to rulers and authorities, right? And to the laws of our country, these are a whole massive list of what not to do. Does that make sense? Don't go over 40 miles an hour, right? Don't do this. 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 All the laws are basically things prohibiting you, you know, don't drive drunk, um, are prohibiting you from doing things that will endanger yourself and others, right? There are laws that are put in place to govern us as a people from going outside the lines and doing things that can do harm to society. So we're obedient 
to what not to do wrong. And of course we should be. We grow in holiness, right? As we more and more don't live in sinful ways, uh, biblically. Okay. But sometimes we can get stuck there. As Christians, we can just live our lives not doing wrong. And that's not the meaning of the Christian life. Of course, we should make an effort to not do what's wrong. But you also want to do what's right. Stephen. To be ready to do whatever is good. So you want to live your life and I want to live my life, Ireland. Not only not doing wrong, May, but in doing what's right. In every situation. Does that make sense? Esther, you see that? Right? You're not only supposed to not do what's wrong, but you want to be ready at every moment to do whatever is good. And very few of us have ever gotten to this point in our Christianity. This takes, this is a lifelong effort of transformation to where you're not only living a lifestyle of not doing wrong, but in every situation you're looking to do good. You're looking to do what's right. You're looking to be a blessing. Verse two, to slander no one. There's a good idea. We still, in the body of Christ, in the church overall today, when I say the church, I mean all Christians all around the world, there is, there is too much gossip and slander in the body of Christ. Okay, This is when we talk poorly about people or negatively about people outside their presence. Just think about that. Now, slander is when you talk to them and you even say things that aren't even true. It's speaking poorly about them. And you're saying things that aren't even true. But gossip is when you're just speaking about them badly and poorly and negatively in a way that just doesn't paint them very nice. It's a way that downgrades them and makes them look bad. And they're not there. To slander no one. But instead, to be, verse 1, Scott, to be peaceable and considerate. Peaceable and considerate, Matthew. What does it mean to be considerate? Considerate means you take time to consider and think about the other person's position. Right, Nathan? We want to consider, Kristen, what the other person's feelings and thoughts are. We want to be considerate, Wendy, of what other people are thinking and what other people desire and what other people want. We want to be considerate people. And Lauren, we want to be peaceable. We want to be the type of people that promote peace based on the word of God. You know, we're not people that are just back in the 60s that are just saying love and peace. We, we do want to live peaceably in Christ based on the word of God. If you're in a situation that's not as the word of God would have it to be, then no, we're not in agreement and we're not peaceable. We're peaceable based on the scriptures, okay? And there's nothing in the Bible ever, there's nothing Jesus has ever said that would cause you to not be peaceable and loving and forgiving. Does that make sense? You want to be peaceable and considerate with people, even when you have to disagree with them, right? We don't shout. We don't raise our voice. You know, when we get worked up, we, we need to repent, right? But in everything we do, we want to be peaceable and considerate, even in our disagreements, Again, if, if we're speaking to someone and they're, they're not agreeing with the word of God, 
You do want to make it plain what the word of God teaches, but you want to do it in a peaceable and considerate manner. And he says at the end of verse 2, and to show true humility toward all men. When he says men here, he obviously means men and women. Okay? All humanity. And to show true humility toward all men. Toward everyone. All men and women. Wow. To show true humility. The reason he says true humility is that we live in a culture where we often, even as Christians, walk in false humility. We're pretentious. We're disingenuine. We're insincere. We're fake. We act with a, with a false humility. We try to put on a face of humility. Walking in true humility. And he's going to tell you what that means here in verse 3. Here's true humility. And why we walk in true humility toward all people. Verse 3. At one time you too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and desires, Mr. Hall. Passions and pleasures. Look at that. At one time we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and desires. Passions and pleasures, Chris, right? We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. And what Paul is talking about here, he's going to say in verse 4, but when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. So before you came to know Jesus Christ, before you became a Christian, before you came to a place where you recognized your sinfulness and you asked Jesus to come into your heart and be the Lord of your life, before you were saved by the mercy and grace of God our Father, Paul said that, that you just had no idea about life. I became a Christian as an adult. I was 27, 28 years old when I became a Christian. Um, I'm 51 years old now. Um, and, and regrettably, I, I still have some of these aspects. There are ways in my life where I can still act foolishly or disobedient, ways I can be deceived. Um, and, but that's not my lifestyle anymore. Before I became a Christian, pretty much every aspect of my life, I really didn't understand because I didn't understand the word of God or the son of God. So all I lived by was the best of what humanity had to offer. The smartest men and the smartest women you know, was all I knew. But Paul's point when he's saying we need to show true humility, so, so even when people don't understand us, even when, may, even when they disagree with us as Christians, even when they speak contrary to the Bible, we can still show humility because we can remember when we didn't get it, when we didn't understand, when we didn't have the light of the gospel, when things, when we thought things made sense, but they really didn't, Right? And, and we said foolish and ignorant things that were not consistent with the word of God. To speak against the Bible is to speak against all-powerful, almighty God. It seems we live in a world where most Christians don't understand that. To be at odds with the Bible, with the scriptures, is to be at odds with the living God. That's a tenuous place. That is a tenuous place, Abraham, right? And so we can have humility when we're dealing with people who don't have the revelation of Jesus, don't have the revelation of the scriptures, 
remembering that we too, at a time in our life, were just, we just lived as very, very sinful people. It says we lived in malice and envy. Malice is when you want harm. You desire harm or bad things to happen to another individual. Now, again, uh, even as Christians, believe it or not, we can have some of these some of these things active in our lives, enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. Um, being hated and hating one another, verse 3 says. Okay, As a Christian, there's no one you should hate. No one. You ought to have love in your heart and want to see the mercy of God on your worst enemy. No matter how evil you perceive them to be. They need the love of Jesus Christ. You should want to see everyone come to the love of Jesus Christ. And if you don't, there's a level that you don't understand how bad you really were. If you don't want to see mercy on another person, or if I don't want to see mercy on another person, right? You can take a terrible person, a disgusting person, let's say a terrorist that kills people, right? That's an absolute atrocity. Right? But even that person, believe it or not, the Bible teaches that you should want the love of Jesus Christ to be revealed to them. And if you don't, that's because you and I don't understand how bad we really are, even though obviously we hadn't done that. That's what the Bible teaches, that we are a sinful people, a wicked people, in desperate need of a savior. Desperate need of a savior. The Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Verse 4. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, when you finally understood the gospel, do you understand the gospel today? Do you understand that Jesus gave his life for you as a desperate, wretched, sinful person separated from God, headed to hell? But Jesus got in the way of that path. And he took all of your sin, all of your disobedience, all of your selfishness, all of your self-serving ways, and he opened his arms on the cross and took one nail in the left hand and one nail in the right. You nailed his left hand. I nailed his right hand. That was us that put those nails in. And he took all of our sin, past, present, and future, in himself and on himself at the cross. Even though he had no sin and was perfect. God. And, and when that revelation came to you. When you understood that, and hopefully you understand that today, that's what Jesus did for you. He took the punishment you deserved, took the punishment I deserved on himself. He died in our place. He was punished in our place. Went to hell in our place. The difference is, though, Kimberly, right? Hell couldn't hold him. He conquered hell for you. He conquered death for you. He conquered the grave for you. So that in Jesus, you too would be raised from the dead and have eternal life 
forever and ever in heaven with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Lord Jesus, we worship you and we thank you and we praise you that you've appeared to us. We thank you that you've appeared to us, Lord. We just love you, Jesus, and we bless you and we thank you and we praise you. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Listen, verse 5. He saved us. He saved us from our sin. Listen, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. Because of his mercy. Did you hear that? Nothing you do can help save you from your sin. Nothing you do can help you go to heaven. Nothing. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to be able to make it. I'm going to have to cut this short. I'm not going to get to verse 11. I'm sorry. This is so thick. He saved us. Jesus saved you, not because of righteous things you had done, not because of any good you had done. Now, he already told you you need to devote your life to doing what's good, but that doesn't save you. There is nothing you can do to save you, to help save you in any way. I've said it before, the best five minutes I've ever lived in my life, the holiest five minutes I've ever lived would send me straight to hell. I need a savior. I'm desperate. And Jesus saved me not because of good that I had done. Has nothing to do with that. It says, but because of his mercy. But because of his mercy. You know what mercy is? Mercy is when God does not give you the punishment you actually deserve. Mercy is when we are not given the punishment that we deserve from our heavenly father. And as sinners, our punishment that we deserve is hell. But Jesus got in the way of that lens. He got in the way of that Leanne and he took our, our punishment on himself. He took the hell that we would have been condemned in for eternity and conquered it. So that you and I would have eternal life in heaven with him. But it was because of his mercy. It wasn't because we were good people. There are no good people. There are only sinful people that desperately need Jesus. And when we put our faith and trust and reliance and complete hope in Jesus, Jesus comes to live in us by his Holy Spirit. And then the Spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, begins this work of sanctification and transformation, teaching us to be more like Jesus, Benny. And that's how you want to live, Ian. That's the lifestyle we need to have, Jose. Right? When Jesus is in you and living in you, he then, Leah, right, begins to show you how to live a righteous life. He shows you, Corinne, how to live for him, how to give for him, how to love for him, and how to forgive for him. Again, once you've received Jesus as your Savior, Jesus comes to live in you, and the Holy Spirit teaches you how to live your life living for Jesus, loving for Jesus, giving for Jesus, and forgiving for Jesus, Kayla. Carissa. That's the, 
the theme of our lives as Christians. But it has nothing to do with your salvation. It has nothing to do with your sins being forgiven and you going to heaven. That's because of his mercy. Verse 5. He saved us not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. And now this is a very confusing verse, but it plays in right into what we're saying. Verse 5, if you're reading along, it says, He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. It's kind of confusing. He saved us through the washing of rebirth. When we are not in Christ, or before we became Christians, before we received Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, our condition was so bad, okay? As a sinful human being that has not received Jesus as their Lord and Savior, okay? We are so completely sinful we're so sinful it is impossible for us to do anything pleasing to God it actually says that in Romans chapter 8 that if you have not received Jesus Christ into your heart if the spirit of Jesus Christ is not living in you you cannot please God in any way that is how that is how completely debilitated we are outside of Jesus Christ. Before I go any further, regrettably, okay, I have people in my life that I love very much, and they have yet to make a decision for Jesus, unfortunately. And yet, they are some of the finest individuals I know. They walk in some of the finest love, they're, they're more forgiving than most Christians, which in itself is ridiculous, right? Because as Christians, we know how much we've been forgiven, and yet we often don't have a lifestyle of forgiveness. Forgive us, Lord. <laughs> it's, it's absurd. And yet these people, and how do they do that then? How are they able, how are these people I'm speaking of and the people in your life that have yet to give their lives fully to Christ, how are they able to do all these good things and have this kind of this real apparent love in their heart. That happens by what's called the common grace of God. By the common grace of God, humanity can do good things. And some humans who haven't received Jesus can do extremely good things and extremely loving things. But outside of Jesus Christ, outside of having their sins forgiven, outside of that separation only when that separation of sin is taken away can they really do anything truly pleasing to God. That's what it says. It says those who don't have the spirit of Jesus Christ cannot please him. But they can do good things. And I know people who do tremendously good things. And with all my heart, I mean, I beg them that they would come to receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And Father, I pray you would... You would open the hearts of all who are listening to this, that they would come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as their only Lord and Savior, that they would come to receive him, that they would ask Jesus to come into their heart and pray, Lord Jesus, I confess. I confess, Lord, I bow my knee to you. I know I'm a sinful person, Jesus, and 
I ask you now to come into my heart and be the Lord of my life and save me from my sin and bring me to heaven when I die. Jesus, I do trust you and place all my faith and trust and reliance and hope in you alone to save me to be my everlasting Lord and God. Please fill me with your Holy Spirit, Lord Jesus, and help me to live each day of my life in love and devotion to you. Jesus, it's in your name I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. That's how you become a Christian. It's not so much the words. Those are, that's a, that's a, that's a prayer to receive Christ. But you, you pray to Jesus and you mean it as best you can because that's what it says in your Bible. That's what the Bible said. God has given his word. Jesus himself, John 14, 6 says, no one, no one, that's not ambiguous, can come to the Father except through me. It's only in Jesus Christ that our sins can be forgiven and that we can be saved and go to heaven when we die. But he says, it says in this verse, he saved us through the washing of rebirth. We were so bad. Before we come to Christ, you can't just kind of do a power washing over you. You can't just kind of add something nice, okay? This is not addition. When you come to Jesus Christ, you need a totally new birth, okay? You, we are so bad so awful, so sinful, that when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you are completely identified with the death of Christ. Now, this is going to go deep, okay? When you ask Jesus to come into your heart, the spirit of Jesus, it says the renewal by the Holy Spirit. When you say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart, as I just did in that prayer, the spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, comes in, inside of you and joins himself to your spirit. Now, your spirit was dead. You came into this world, the Bible teaches, naturally and physically alive, but spiritually dead. Your spirit was dead to God because of sin living in you, because you have a sinful nature. And that sin living in you that you have at conception, you already have sin living in you. I remember when Kristen and Lauren were one year old, okay? My daughter, Kristen, so cute, playing with her toys. And Lauren has the exact same toy. That girl goes crawling across the carpet, takes her sister Kristen's toy, and brings it back to her pile of toys, Wendy. So now that she's got not only her toy, but the identical toy, because she wanted two and her sister to have none. They're one year old. No one taught them to do that. Kristen, be obedient to daddy. I always had to say that, but I never had to say, Kristen, be disobedient to daddy. For somehow she learned that all on her own. Why would a one-year-old do that? Why would she do something so selfish, so sinful, so self-serving as to want to hog all the toys to herself? And she wants her sister's toy as well as her toy, even though they both have the exact same toy. And the reason is because there was a sinful nature in her. Still is. But she's been redeemed now in Jesus Christ. She's had rebirth. She's been born again. When, when Lauren and Kristen received Jesus into their lives, into their heart, they were identified with the, the death of Christ. That old person 
was crucified with Jesus at the cross. The spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit came inside of them. Jesus joined himself to your spirit. He married you in spirit. You are one with Jesus in spirit. You're called the bride of Christ, if you've heard that term. And when that happened, when the spirit of Jesus came into your heart, into your spirit, and joined himself to your spirit, there was an explosion of life. New life appeared. Rebirth appeared. There was now a new creation, a new person, now spiritually alive in Jesus Christ. It's the greatest thing. It is, there's no words for it. Now, the Holy Spirit living in you regenerated you and made you spiritually alive. So you became a new creation in Christ. You were born again. You were washed of rebirth. You're now so clean because you're born again spiritually and you're spiritually alive. And all this is kind of making sense to you in a way it never did. I remember for 27 years of my life, I would hear teaching and preaching and all these other things. And it, you know, I, and it never really made that much sense. But when I truly received Jesus Christ in my heart, the light came on and the Bible started making sense. And I felt grieved and convicted over my sin. And I still made mistakes, but I, I wanted to repent over them. And I wanted to live for Jesus and I wanted to, to know the Bible because Jesus was living in me now and giving me those desires. And the more you give yourself to him, the more you'll have desires for him. And you'll know his unconditional love. But he saved us through the washing of rebirth. So what I'm saying is, if you don't know Jesus today, you can't just add a little bit of Jesus. You can't say, well, I'm going to try to do a little better. You need to be completely completely killed and identified with the death of Christ. And when you receive Jesus, you're born again spiritually. So when, when you receive Jesus again, you are counted. The old man is counted buried. This is spiritually, obviously. You never, you know, when you receive Jesus, you don't die naturally. You're not killed naturally. But the old man, the old sinful man that had that nature or woman of doing everything wrong is crucified with Jesus. It's identified with the death of Christ on the cross. And the new man or woman is identified with the resurrection life of Jesus. Now, the reason it says the washing of rebirth is because uh, baptism is a reflection of this. When, as Christians, the Bible tells us to be baptized. It tells us to be immersed in water. And baptism, when you go down into the water, right? There's a baptismal pool um, in Africa. We did it in the river, uh, right, Ezekiel? Um, you know, Armando was there. And, you know, the people were coming to be baptized. Um, that, that was a crazy scene. But, you know, we had to wait to make sure there were no alligators or scorpions or cobras there, he said. Naturally, I said, well, what's the guy going to do if he found one, right? Armando said, no, don't worry. He knows what to do. So, you know, I'm standing there on the shore just because this is not like the baptismal, you know, tub at the church, right? Um, but people coming to be baptized, it was just, it was beautiful. We were like, I don't know, nine hours out into the African bush, right? Just no plumbing, no electricity, 
Yeah. Anyway, when he says the washing of rebirth, baptism, so when, when you're baptized, this has nothing to do with your salvation, but it is an outward symbolic act of your rebirth spiritually. So when you see someone being baptized, when they go down into the water, it represents their identification with the death of Christ. And when they come up out of the water, it represents their identification in new life and their rebirth and the resurrection of Christ, right? Um, so it's a powerful, powerful example. It's a powerful outward symbolic act, baptism, of that inward reality. The inward reality is that you were already identified spiritually with the death of Christ and you were already raised and given new life by the Holy Spirit of Jesus coming to live inside of you, right? Powerful, powerful. All right. We got to wrap up here. Where's the time go? What did we get through? We got through five verses. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Father, we just, we love you and we bless you. We thank you that the word of God is here to remind us, Lord. And we do ask you to help us, Father, to not only obey the laws of society, Lord, but, but help us to do what's good. Help us to people, help us to be people who are ready to do whatever is good. Forgive us, Father, and help us not to be, forgive us, Father, as Christians, when we slander and gossip and say things we ought not to. Help us to be men and women, Father, who are truly peaceable and considerate with one another and who show true humility toward all men. Father, help us to remember that, that before we came to Christ, we didn't know any of this truth. And to show mercy, to be people who show mercy, remembering that we've only been saved from our sin by the mercy of Jesus Christ, our only Lord and Savior and Master and King and God. Holy Spirit, we love you, we bless you, and we thank you. We thank you for the Word of God. We thank you for the Son of God. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for the incredible life you've given us in Jesus Christ our Lord. We bless you, we praise you, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening to this teaching from Kingdom Discipleship. For more information about our ministry, please visit www.kingdomd.org. If you'd like to email us directly, you can reach us at contact at kingdomd.org.